What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Maximum Oxygen Edition. This episode might make you grow much bigger. That's just a tease. That's a tease for our if coming up in just a moment. Uh, but first, I'm Philip Shane, documentary filmmaker, science aficionado, science fan. Gaga for science. And... Uh, with me is uh, Gabby Panicia from Rockefeller University, where you, she studies uh, viruses. Is that, is that an accurate description? You know, it's kind of funny. Even though I am a virologist, right now I'm more using viruses to study like the host side of things. So in a manner of speaking, eh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's all wishy-washy. User of viruses. That almost sounds more powerful. It does. That's like supervillain. Yeah. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, our erstwhile co-host, Matthew Stanley, is on assignment this week. Um, by the way, last week, uh, both Gabby and Matt were on assignment, each attending to uh, you know exciting things happening in their own uh, worlds that are all top secret. But... Um, I had a special guest uh, last week, and uh, I've gotten a lot of nice comments about it, and I will be passing all your comments on to my special guest. It was Hal 9000, and he, he was Hal 9000? It was Hal 9000, my guest. Uh, and Gabby, you said you, you got a chance to uh, hear some of that. How was that? Yeah, like I said, it was, it was really funny. It was really well done. Um, I'm glad you did not feel as Matt did. Matt emailed me and said, oh, you don't need us anymore. And no, that's not <laughs> the case. You know what's funny? I am curious about, like, you know, they use huge training sets for these. So, like, where are the boundaries? Like, are podcasts included in the training set, especially oh. since it's, like, a language thing? So, like, I would just be curious of, like, how well it could replicate the format of our show. Like, if, if we're in the training set, it might actually be fairly accurate to us. We're kind of a small podcast, so maybe not. Um, but it is, I don't know, it would be kind of funny. I've never actually checked. That's interesting. It knew about What the If, and uh, it knew who you were, and it knew who I was, M, and uh, it knew a lot about Matt, because Matt has published not books. Not surprised there. <laughs> and, um, uh, but, uh, um, what was I going to say? Uh yeah, that is a great question. That is a great question. Our podcast part of the AI training set. I'm going to guess no, because they would be perhaps part of a training set for for specialty AI dealing with speech recognition, voice recognition. Well, because we don't we don't put any transcripts. If we put transcripts, <clears throat> then we might be part of a, although, a like a text based data set. Although these days transcripts are done automatically by AI in in an instant. So for them to 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 do that wouldn't be hard, um, 
but uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Although there are lots of what if type books and things like that. I know for sure it's a very famous one called What If uh, by uh, what's his name? The, uh, Randall Monroe. Yeah, Randall Monroe. Ex KCD guy. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so uh, anyway, but yeah, if if you've if those of you who are listening, if you hadn't heard it, go back and check it out. It's a very strange episode, very interesting episode. I found it quite fun to make and quite spooky at times to hear HAL 9000 um, speculating on how AI, such as himself, could take over the world. So it's quite uh, interesting and thought-provoking. I'd love to know what you think of it. This week, um, we have an idea actually suggested to us by ChatGPT um, because we got lazy this morning and said, well, let's let the robots do it. And uh, ChatGPT suggested 20 ideas instantly, which is amazing. I got to say, it's, it is really like I'm finding, I mean, I'm in a creative field anyway, So, but but I'm finding it one of the most interesting parts of the, the ChatGPT is as a creative partner or just sort of like a creative assistant, you know, can just sort of rustle up a bunch of information or a bunch of ideas really quickly. Um, and so um, it's about... Uh, 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 we, we will announce it in, with great fanfare in a moment, but um, it has to do with the level of oxygen on Earth, right? The question, we, so this one's going to be about, uh, do we call it ancient history, pre, pre-human periods? So we're going back into a time period like we did when we had our great episode, another great episode we did recently about the dinosaurs with I know the uh, folks from I know Dino, the I know Dino podcast. It's another thing. Go check out that episode if you haven't heard it. Just a few episodes. I mean, back. we can imagine this is in the future, but Ooh, there is precedent in the past. Right. So, right. I think it's worthwhile talking about the past and then using that to kind of explore what might happen in a couple million years if this is the case. Right. All right. Tell you what, I'm going to announce it. So, uh, we we we, uh, we do a thought experiment each week. Gabby, do you want to describe it and then? Um, in the context, describe it in the context of why we have to go through such a rigmarole when we say the name of the uh, of the if. Yeah. So every week we pick one thing that we're going to change about the universe. That's our if, our what if scenario, and so we follow that out to its just farthest logical possible conclusion. And sometimes we kind of break the world, break the universe in the process. Though so those tend to be Matt's ifs since we play with like the laws of physics itself. <laughs> uh, so there's sort of a lot of fanfare as we kind of kind of brace ourselves for whatever's coming next. Right. Yeah, so safety goggles on, peppers on, hazmat suits on. <laughs> and we ask, what the if? Earth's oxygen level was doubled. Doubled! Double your power, double your fun. What if the oxygen in the air grew in concentration higher and higher? I'm reminded of uh, when there was a period back around 2010, 2011, when oxygen bars were a thing where you could go up to the bar and uh, you could put on a mask or one of these things up your nose, 
these tubes and you yeah. could breathe more you were you would get extra oxygen it was a, it was a fad um this is like that on major steroids i'm guessing yeah yeah kind kind of but like also like all the time too i actually uh -huh, don't yeah. know how what like percentage of oxygen was in like those oxygen bar things yeah that's a good question I'll look that up. I, I, for, I don't, for some reason, oh, what's it? Woody Harrelson comes to mind. <laughs> Just have, I feel like Woody Harrelson must have been one of the proponents of this, uh, you know, oxygen thing. I don't know why that, that happens. I do remember I, I got to try it once. I was at, uh, happened to be at Sundance Film Festival in 2011. And um, there was a part, the opening night party. You know, they had all kinds of fun things, of course, all kinds of amazing uh, things to eat and the celebrity chefs and you know all this and and celebrity uh, drink mixer what do you call them uh, oh what do they call them? the the bartender mixologists you know making drinks and then there was the oxygen bar and everybody had to try the oxygen bar it was refreshing it woke you up actually and I must say it it was nice it was cleaner it felt cleaner you know than like drinking whiskey or smoking well and also too you know if this is happening in New York City like the air that we breathe is not yeah, great. That's right. <laughs> I went That's to right. Seattle for like a weekend and I was like, oh, okay, this is nice. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it was just like a very, very different city. And I was like, okay, yeah, I can tell the air quality that y'all have there is so much better than me basically sucking on a tailpipe by existing in New York City. Yes. So um, WebMD, a fairly trustworthy source, I guess. Uh, WebMD, the website, reports um, that uh, about the, in an article called The Rise of Oxygen Bars, uh, it says, uh, since the oxygen provided in oxygen bars, uh, oh, the, the, the oxygen provided in oxygen bars is a concentration of 40%. Hmm. So 40%. That's kind of calculated because at 50% oxygen, uh, you get oxygen toxicity. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So let me maybe walk this back to the if a little bit. Yeah. So right now, the percentage of oxygen in the air is like around like 21% of our atmosphere. And so we're all pretty adapted to this like 21% oxygen level. Right. If you've ever gone up a mountain, though, if you're somebody especially who was like raised at sea level and you're struggling to breathe, the air is thinner. Yeah. Um, so it's it's less of a it's less of a, it's not that there's a lower percent oxygen, it's that the density of the air that you're breathing is less, so therefore you're actually getting like less oxygen into your lungs because the air, there's less air per air. Matt would explain this so much better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's why, you know, you you have to acclimatize to, in, and you can acclimatize to those changes to a certain extent. Um where the difference in the amount of oxygen in the air because of the air density is something that eventually you can, I believe you mostly just produce more red blood cells is sort of the first mm. line of defense of just, you know, if you're having trouble getting enough oxygen to your things and you make a little bit more blood to carry it. Interesting. Um, I think so. Um, but for the most part, at least at small intervals, humans can adapt to having more oxygen in the air, more or less oxygen, what have you. Right. Um, Amusingly, this is why if you've ever heard, you know, there's some football teams that practice at higher altitude and oh. then they go to lower altitude places and they say, oh, you know, it's an advantage. Like this team's at sea level. 
it sounds kind of ridiculous, but yeah, it's, it's because they're used to playing in a in essentially like a, a baseline harder condition. Right. And then the reverse happens when you have teams that are used to training at sea level and then they go and they play in one of these high altitude locations. It's a little bit harder for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. But of course they're all athletes. So, you know, the scales are different for them than it is for me struggling up a mountainside. Exactly. <laughs> um, so on the other side of that though, is say way, way, way increased oxygen. And eventually you can sort of roll over to oxygen toxicity. And so that's at about 50% of the atmosphere. It, if, if 50% of that is, is oxygen, uh, it's essentially causes problems. I don't really know the full mechanism, mm. but I do know at enough of, uh, at enough oxygen, it's actually not good for you. So it's not like inhaling, you know, hundred percent straight oxygen is great right. because your body needs oxygen the body functions sort of as a series of like concentration gradients. Mm. Um, actually, I think I might know, I think I might've sort of figured out at least part of why. Um, so because the body functions as a series of, of concentration gradients, the way things generally move is from more to less. And as your body is using oxygen, you're taking in oxygen from the outside air to put into your body to kind of replace what your cells are using. So it's moving sort of high, low. Mm. Um, the problem is, is if there's way more oxygen, like 100% oxygen outside, um, I think that should start messing with um, the way that your body essentially moves stuff across concentration gradients. Mm. I think it might affect your blood's ability to like release CO2 maybe. I don't, Again, not 100% sure. So when you say um, the body is a series of concentration gradients, what does that mean exactly? Are, are those actual physical structures or you're just saying that's... Uh, yes and no. Mm. Like it's it's more of like on, on like almost every level, that's how the body mm. arranges things. Mm. Um, you know, think about how life evolved. It was like, you know, a slight membrane in salt water mm. um, and just sort of pushing electrons around. Um but apparently, scuba divers can use breathing gas containing up to 100% oxygen. So, not 100% sure how this works. Sorry, guys. I would love to give you a, a, a mechanism, but this is actually something I really don't know too much about. <laughs> I know more about carbon monoxide poisoning than I know about Whoa. Uh, oxygen poisoning. What do you know kind of about carbon words. monoxide poisoning? Uh, carbon monoxide binds the same pocket that oxygen does and carbon dioxide does, but it doesn't unbind. It's irreversible. So uh. it sort of, you essentially get it because it's binding, binding in your blood and making it impossible for your blood cells to exchange oxygen and carbon dioxide. Oh, interesting. See. And, and like I said, blood, you know, because your body's a series of concentration gradients, you know, the oxygen leaves your red blood cells to go in your cells because, essentially because of the concentration gradient that, you know, to pick up the CO2 um, that's coming off, that's being released by cells. Right, right, right. So, um, there was, as you mentioned, there was a time, was, there's an interesting uh, science experiment was done on the Earth by nature itself. And that is to, uh, over the course of, the, of Earth's history, the concentration of oxygen has gone up and down, uh, beginning with oxygen mm -hmm. not existing at all, and then eventually it arriving. And you can tell us a bit about that, which is kind of fascinating. And then we can talk about the, w what happened to life on Earth when it went up. Um, but you, you were mentioning that the 
quite interesting. Earth did not begin with oxygen. When we think of Earth, I think one of the first things we think about is probably water, which includes oxygen, of course. But then I think we also think of oxygen. That's what makes life. That's why there's life on Earth and not on the other planets. Some people might say. Um, but the astonishing fact is that there were. Earth was not born with oxygen or water either, for that matter. That water arrived from uh, comets and things like that. But uh, what, what was it? Where, where did oxygen come from? Yeah. So, I mean, there was probably like a very, very trace amounts of oxygen. Yeah. Uh, but by and large, it wasn't anywhere near the, you know, 21% that we have today or I think the like 35% that it got up to at one point. Um, so it was actually from probably life itself, it seems. Mm. Um, so uh, it seems like it was probably cyanobacteria, which is just a you know specific type of bacteria. We call them cyanobacteria because they're kind of like green, blue. Huh. Um, oh, interesting. Cyan. Yeah, yeah. They're, like a, they're like a blue, green algae. Uh-huh. Um, so they were producing oxygen. And so most of life on Earth, we assume, was probably anaerobic. So mm. used to operating in low or no oxygen conditions before then. Mm. And so when all of this oxygen appeared, it wasn't actually great for them. So there might have been a little bit of like a, a sort of first mass extinction. Um, but wow. adding all of that oxygen did really change the chemistry of the atmosphere um, and sort of set up for everything that we know. So you can thank some blue-green algae for cranking out some oxygen. Yeah, so they breathed out. In other words, they were breathing out oxygen in the way plants do. Oh, no, plant. Yeah, plants breathe out oxygen, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's quite interesting. But but to their own doom, as it turned out, you're saying that no, 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 no. no. Oh. The, the cyanobacteria were doing great. Oh, okay. I think. It was Got it. it was the other the, like other species of bacteria that right. were used to ha- working in like no oxygen conditions. Right. That uh, I think kind of suffered. They they got choked out by the competition. So the bad breath of the cyanobacteria killed all of life on Earth and replaced it with something new. That's excellent. Um. Thanks, guys. The anaerobics. <laughs> well, fortunately, not all of life on Earth at the time, but probably didn't help a, a chunk of them. Yeah, yeah. But completely transformed the planet to, to, to the extent that I know that um, in, um, uh, in astronomy, uh, they, uh, when, they're, when we're searching for other planets and looking for other planets that have, trying to figure out whether other planets have life on them, the detection of oxygen you know, is believe would be one of the indicators that it's we think would be likely wouldn't be proof, but it would be likely that there was life on that planet because um, planets are not they're just not born with oxygen normally. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, one of the thoughts too is that like like cyanobacteria like things could be used to like terraform other worlds to essentially oh, release wow. that oxygen. Cool, but yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, the if today is, uh, what if the amount of oxygen on Earth doubled? So, we'll get to, we'll, we'll imagine what that what would mean if it were to happen today, let's say, starting today. But looking at the history of the Earth, there's uh, one or two times in the past where the amount of oxygen, the concentration of oxygen on Earth was much higher. And did that bode, how did that bode? For ill or or well, for uh, life on Earth, what happened to life, living things, when the oxygen was up? 
Sorry, walk me back. I zoned for half a second. That's all right. We you're asking all what happened to all living things. That's what things happens. You the, need more oxygen. I guess, man. I need you no. Know, I need caffeine. Coffee. Honestly, unfortunately, I am at the point in my graduate school career where I am addicted. Yes. My getting one latte as a little treat for making it through the day has greatly impacted my function without that yes. one said latte. Yes. Um, but no, sorry, you were asking how well, so, oxygen so ox- that increase in oxygen. Yeah. So how did that? Uh, that was our if is that oxygen is going to be doubled. We're going to imagine what if that were to happen starting today. But in the past, we've seen oxygen was much higher. At one or two periods in the Earth's history, there were great, much higher concentration of oxygen on Earth. And how, what happened to mm-hmm. life on Earth at that time? Yeah, so that was during the Carboniferous and the Permian periods. I think that was somewhere around like 300 million years ago. So mm-hmm. this was not, you know, just around the corner. Well, maybe geologically speaking, yeah. it was not that long <laughs> ago. But as far as us, you know, your great grandpa never saw this era in, <laughs> you know, Earth's history. Um, and it was an era with generally a lot of plants. So they were the ones pumping out that oxygen. Um, but interestingly, it was an era of gigantic insects. Whoa. So the way that insect circulatory systems worked is they do have sort of lymph, which is kind of like blood, but a lot of, um, they don't have lungs. Um, and so a lot of what's coming in is there's like air holes in an insect so that air can come in. And then there's diffusion to the lymph, um, that circulatory system, Mm. uh, that is actually bringing oxygen to the body. But because essentially, we are allowed to be the size that we are because we have like a very, very active system. Our lungs are, you know, taking in air actively, mm. inflating, absorbing oxygen, and then we're dispersing that to every corner of our body. That's a very active system. Because insects don't really have that, um, they can only rely on the ability of oxygen to essentially diffuse through their body. And the concentration of the at- of oxygen in the atmosphere does limit that. Mm. So if you have more oxygen, it's easier for these insects to get bigger because there's already so much of it that, you know, some of it's going to be able to get wherever it needs to go in the insect body. So insects were able to just dramatically increase in size. This is the era where you have dragonflies that are like the size of dinner plates. Whoa! Um, <laughs> and so... It is a really, really, like, interesting era, I think. Like, there's a lot of bugs. There's a lot of truly gigantic bugs. If you are not a fan of insects, uh, I'm sorry. This is a terrible era yes. to be traipsing through in your time machine. It's horrifying. It's also, and this is one thing that, you know, it's just a byproduct of oxygen. Fires are a bigger problem. Huh. So, high, you know, oxygen fuels fires. If you've ever, you know just put out a fire, you can use water, you can kick dirt on it to smother it, Mm. to essentially starve it of oxygen. Mm. And so if you're in an environment where there's just a lot more oxygen, that fire is going to be a lot more intense. Yeah, yeah. So um, why did the insects grow? What what is it about the oxygen that allows a creature to grow? Like I can imagine having a lot of oxygen just sort of giving you more energy or something like that. But the fact that it physically made them become so much bigger is well, interesting. It's a unique property of, like I said, insects as organisms. Uh-huh. So it wouldn't probably wouldn't happen to us. Uh-huh. It's not that like adding more oxygen makes you big. Right. It's that insects and their size are specifically limited by mm, mm, the density mm. of oxygen. 
because they were yeah. they sort of have this passive diffusion of oxygen through their body. Right. Um, they if there's if it's more concentrated, they can get larger because that diffusion is going to be more effective. So right now they're limited in size, kind of just because you can't get oxygen everywhere it needs to go on a big insect at the level of oxygen that we have in our environment. Yeah. But at you know thirty to thirty five percent oxygen, like it was, I think in like the you know Permian period, they could do that. So therefore, you get gigantic dragonflies and centipedes and all of that fun stuff. Whoa. It's funny. I I don't know why, but um, where I live in New York, uh, I happen to live near the river, so I think this may be the reason, although the area I live in also happens to be uh, a gigantic, toxic wasteland. <laughs> it used to be factories, <laughs> you know, the, and oil fields and all kinds of things, uh, oil tanks and all kinds of chemicals and stuff. Like that. Now, theoretically, they've cleaned that stuff out before they built the residential buildings that are here now. But nonetheless, for some reason, either because of the water or the chemicals or who knows what, um, or New York pizza, um, the bugs that come into my apartment are gigantic, like big. Like flies or like... Not the like flies, but like mosquitoes. Um, and I've even seen sometimes crazy creatures that clearly came from deep underground or something like... Uh, You've probably seen silverfish. Yeah, is that like these long centipede type things? Yep, yeah. silverfish. And they're, they have they're like, like basement D dudes. They have no color, you know. They and they just yeah, they're just like gray, and like kind of translucent. So, yeah, they're pretty gross. Yeah, so creepy. <laughs> um, yeah, but they're huge. So I don't know if if uh, oxygen is making that, or maybe just nuclear power. Probably nuclear waste. Who knows what? Like the Simpsons. It might just be the bugs you get. Truthfully, like uh, uh, yeah. the first time. I don't, this is going to skew out. You know, I'm not going to tell my New York bug story because <laughs> this is going to skew out our listeners and I don't want to do that to them. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I, if you're interested in my New York bug stories, you can tell me and I'll write you back. Yeah. But uh, I am realizing I don't want to skew out the audience too much today. All right. All right. The skeeve alert is uh, it's like spoiler alert. Skeeve alert. Yeah. Uh, censored. <laughs> Beep. Um, yeah, I have a friend, one of my, my best and oldest friend, Randy. And if he's li listening, shout out to Randy in Seattle. And um, I remember, we are very much alike. In fact, Randy and I literally have the same birthday on the same year and everything. We became, we became friends in, in school. And I've uh, known him for many, many years. Anyway, but there was one time, was as similar as we are, there was one time I realized, Randy is very different from me. Because I was hanging out <laughs> with him at his house. We were watching TV. And all of a sudden, he gets real excited and he jumps up and he grabs a magnifying glass and he runs over to the glass door uh to the outside and because he sees there's like a bee trapped in a spider web or something like that and and he just like gets that magnifying glass and he just gets right up in there <laughs> and looking at it and i'm like what later in biology class when we had to dissect fetal pigs and stuff like that i couldn't even just uh. just the smell of the formaldehyde and all that stuff grossed me out so much and he was always like he should have been a surgeon he's not a surgeon but he should, he should, he should have not bothered by it in the slightest he would I mean, admittedly, I hated I hated dissections in school. Yeah, but I actually didn't mind the few actual like mouse dissections I did fill up. It's mm. really different when all of your samples are dunked in formaldehyde and like yeah, old and like rigor mortis. Yes. It's it's hard to work with and it's gross and it's crunchy. Yeah, yeah. bodies are not like that. Mm. Um, mm. 
Well, I'm again, I just gave the skew factor back. So clearly <laughs> I just delayed it by like 30 seconds. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That's all right. That's all right. I have to also then give an additional shout out to my mother and my stepfather who are listening <clears throat> religiously every week. And I'm grateful for that. Thank you. Um, so I will have to mention that uh, I remember sitting at the dinner table growing up and both of them uh, worked in a hospital and would tell stories of all kinds. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, well, this happened, this happened. We dropped that. Oh, yeah, we had to pick that thing up, and that happened. And I was just like, what the? Yeah, I think that may add to my skeeve factor, <laughs> easily skeeved out factor. Um, listeners, send us your, uh, go to whattheif.com and send us <laughs> what skeeves you out. That'd be a fun episode. What the if? Um, so, Thinking about the past, getting back to the oxygen levels, the oxygen levels return to the room. Um, is this related to how in the in the past uh, there were giant creatures like the dinosaurs and giant saber-toothed tigers, right? There were periods of time where there were massive versions of creatures we have now that are much smaller. Uh I, no. Uh, uh, if I remember correctly, the oxygen levels in the Jurassic period were actually really low. Um, let's see. Because I'm, yeah, well, at least like early Cretaceous, Jurassic, and early Devonian, and it was like apparently like kind of around what we have now, ranging down to like 15%. Oh, interesting. So potentially lower. Like I said, this this larger thing is specific to like insects. insects. Yeah, it's not necessarily a thing for for larger organisms. And to be honest, right now in our current oxygen level, we have the largest creature that's ever existed, by my understanding, and that's the blue whale. Ah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um. So now we imagine the er, the oxygen level on Earth is doubling in our time. Like we don't have enough problems with what we're doing to our atmosphere, the level of oxygen starts going up for some reason. First of all, is we can just make that a hand wavy thing, as we say. It's just it's it, that's part of the yeah. If, I'll but, I'll say hand wavy. Okay. I mean, admittedly, uh, one of the things most of our planet's um, oxygen comes from algae. Still, ah. uh, so the algae that created the oxygen to begin with is still one of the biggest producers mm. of oxygen in the planet, mm. as well as like seagrasses. A lot of our oxygen comes from the ocean. Um, this, although these algae can be helpful for that, they can also kind of take over things. Um, so there are these like algae blooms. So I could imagine you maybe get like a spike in oxygen from mm. some algae taking over because there's a lot of maybe like fertilizer runoff or something. Mm. Um, but that also triggers widespread ecological devastation. So maybe we just say magically the oxygen is increased yes. so we can talk about yes. there being animals. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so the oxygen's going up. And uh, so one thing we know that would happen was, would be, although I'm guessing the, the oxygen level would have to increase quite a bit, is um, we, like we do have a lot of fires now, but that's more due to climate change, drying out uh, the forests and having longer summer like weather and things like that. But more oxygen is not going to help that crisis. No, it is not. So the essentially fire problem is going to get much, much worse. Mm, mm. Um, so sorry to the California area 
during this, you know, heightened oxygen period, but it's it's going to be pretty difficult. Right. Um, it's going to be a lot harder to stop those fires once they start. Right. So it might be a thing where uh, people become a lot more careful about, you know, fire safety and how explosive their gender reveal parties <laughs> yeah, are. Exactly. Well, one thing we know is that Woody Harrelson and his friends from the Oxygen Bar days are going to be very happy. They don't need to go to the Oxygen Bar, yeah. right? And so we're all going to be breathing more oxygen. And uh, so we know that for at least uh, at some period of that concentration before, before it becomes toxic to us, uh, we will feel energized, perhaps, more clear-headed. Yeah, I don't know if that will be a permanent phenomenon. Mm, so, mm. for example, you might just kind of adapt um, with more oxygen, your breathing rate, your heart rate's probably going to slow, so you might just sort of have a baseline lower circulation effort right. kind of thing. Right. Um, one of the things that's going to be interesting is, you know, if you're like me and you are terrible at high altitude, well, you're probably going to actually have a great time of it. So if you've got this, you know, 42% oxygen environment, go take a trip to Colorado. Go, yeah. you know, <laughs> bundle up and then climb Mount Everest because, yeah. you know, the... The, the thinness of the air is going to be a little bit less of a problem because there's so much more oxygen in it yeah. that even though the air is less dense, you can still you know get what you need to, to make that hike. Yeah. I was going to say, there's a whole class of mountains um, that are going to become uh, more accessible because uh, mm -hmm. you don't need to carry oxygen when you climb up them. Um, now, the... Uh, uh, how do we know how rapidly this oxygen increased on Earth? Like, how long might it take us to get from today to a point where um, the oxygen is uh, double what it is now? Yeah. So this was over the course of generally like millions of years. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so it's I'm sort of exploring this as a magical like bam you wake up one day and the oxygen level is two times higher. Yes. Um, but that's kind of not really what would happen or has happened in the past. Right. Um, again, climate tends to, minus the recent human meddling, be more on the scale of thousands of years at a time, sans, you know, individual volcanic eruptions or meteors that dramatically alter things. Right. So this is generally a slower change. Um, and, you know, insects aren't going to get bigger in that high oxygen environment overnight. But slowly over time, over generations, they're going to probably, you know, start to get bigger. Right. The, the the maximum bounds on the size of that New York City cockroach are going to increase. Yes. Yes. And so, um, in fact, it's the, we, we do know at least that um, insects, most insects at least, as far as I understand it, you know, they don't live very long. So their generations do happen more quickly. I imagine they could mm -hmm. grow. It's not like us where generations could last uh, 25 years or something. Um, so, uh, we do know that with it, let's say within our lifetime, let's say it takes about 20 years for this, um, unknown reason why the, uh, oxygen levels increase on earth, perhaps an algae bloom or something. Um, it's going up and up and up. It's out of control. And, uh, Elon Musk still hasn't, even though he, he keeps promising, he still hasn't gotten us to Mars yet. And Not surprising. So, <laughs> oh, actually. For the heck of it, how would this this would affect um, rockets, right? If there's a lot more oxygen in the air, perhaps perhaps they need they have they would certainly have to adjust their fuel in some way, right? Yes. And w w <laughs> the danger of fire around the launch pad <laughs> would be greatly increased. 
I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Admittedly, this is the part where I would like to to bother Matt. Yeah. <laughs> um, to to know exactly how essentially like how much further could that fuel go? Would you need less of it if the combustion reaction is so much more efficient in the high oxygen environment? I don't really know, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, a- that's sort of getting into the physics, chemistry, atomic level stuff that I'm not good at. Yes, yes. Um, I want to give a shout out to uh, somebody I, w- I will ask this question of. I will uh, is uh, He's a great YouTuber. He's very, very popular now. Um, he goes by the name Everyday Astronaut Tim and uh, he's an amazing YouTuber. And as far as I know, the only YouTuber ever selected to go to the moon, which he will be doing. He'll be flying. He won't be landing on the moon, but he's going to be on a mission of uh, artists and other creative people that are um, it's being sponsored, I believe, by SpaceX to uh, fly around the moon at some point. Give their artistic impressions Ooh. of it. It's going to be amazing. Um, anyway, uh, uh, oxygen. So, Yeah. The skeeve, the skeeve factor grows. Uh, in fact, maybe if climate change were this skeevy and scary, maybe more people would be acting more quickly to help solve the problem. Because what's going to happen with this oxygen situation is suddenly we're going to be living with gigantic bugs. For instance, the, the bug zappers that you have in your house um, mm-hmm. are not going to be big enough. The, so... Put your money in the stocks of any company that makes bug zappers because uh, those things are going to have to get gigantic to be zapped. Well, what's nice is, you know, you could also just kill them with fire more efficiently. If you're oh. like, I'm <laughs> sick of these bugs and you whip out a flamethrower, it's going to be a little bit more effective in your high oxygen environment. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, 50-50, right? Right. I was going to say, you might need a baseball bat. <laughs> Forget a fly swatter. Oh, God. You know? <laughs> I just am, when you said baseball bat, my mind conjured the sound yeah. <laughs> of like really, really heavy like wing sound, like when you get buzzed by like a cicada. Yes. yes and good. then just like that thwack from a baseball bat. Yeah, yeah that was that was interesting. interesting. <laughs> yes. Yes. Your your citronella candles. Again, there's the fire factor in the air. The air is more flammable or whatever. The things around around you are more flammable. You'll have to be more cautious with your citronella candles when you sit outside on the patio at night. But uh, now, maybe, here's one thing I would love, I must say, because I, I do have a little, a little backyard picnic table. And uh, in our backyard, in the summer evenings, and this time is coming, so maybe they'll be coming back, we have fireflies. And, uh, Ooh, that's a nice one. Which is a rare thing, more and more rare in the world. By the way, this is a crisis around the world because of light pollution. Fireflies only come out in like the dark. And they, have, they need it to mate. Anyway, it's a fascinating story. We should do something on fireflies. Mm-hmm. But... Um, uh, giant fireflies would be kind of amazing. It'd be something out of Harry Potter, I imagine. Flying street lamps. <laughs> it would be pretty cool, yeah. admittedly. And and also, you know, for whatever your interest and or discussed at the concept of eating insects, they are actually a very quick, cheap source of protein. Oh, all right. Um, yeah. So if they grow bigger, then, you know, not always the worst and not the worst for everybody. In some cultures, that's, you know, insect migrations are a great time for to catch your local delicacy. Exactly. So Exactly. When in Rome, you know. Um, yeah, this is true. Have you ever eaten bugs? No. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've eaten crickets before. You have. I've, oh, yeah. That's also very true. Yeah. I have. Yeah. How was that? They have a kind of... Yeah, so when I was in Mexico, I had some of the um, 
Chapulinas, Chapulinas, uh. the um, they're like roasted crickets, and like I had them in like adobo seasoning. They're not bad. They have a sort of acidity. Like at first, I thought there was like a lime kind of flavor in the adobo that was like just kind of a little strange, and then I realized like, oh, that's the cricket. Mm. Um, mm. wasn't bad. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't what I was expecting or necessarily like used to. Like it was a very unusual flavor, but not unusual in like the this is a natural, this is a bug, yeah. but like. Kind of like a weird, like like a step to the left of lime. <laughs> oh, it nice. was not what I expected. It was like an uncanny valley of lime. Yeah. And then to know that I was eating a cricket and that's why it tasted kind of like limes <laughs> was a little strange. Like it was definitely like a paradigm shift. Like I'm sure there might be some other insects that I like, some that I just cannot get past the skew factor. Yeah, but yeah. hey, you know, at least I've tried it. Yeah, that, no, I, I salute you. And I think you came up with a great advertising slogan there, crickets. Just to the left of lime. Uh, <laughs> very good. Uh, oh, God. So in, as we wrap up, I must say, the thing you've stumbled on is I realize the sound of the world, you know, the, the sound of the world would sound different everywhere because oh, yeah. all these gigantic insects flying around and crickets, for, for instance, I was imagining crickets. Maybe crickets would be much louder if they're bigger. Um, and cicadas and things like that. Like, that would be kind of amazing. It would sound more jungle-like, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, that will be definitely something uh, very interesting. I was trying to look up real quick if, you know, the density of the air does affect sound travel. I wasn't uh, sure if, like, the chemical composition does. Yeah. So don't know about that one. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think it would be really interesting as far as actually hearing uh, more insect songs. A lot of insects especially small insects, actually have songs that you can't hear. Songs? Um, so fruit flies. Fruit flies have have songs. Um, and so it's actually really cool every time there's one lab here that they give their their talks, um, they adjust the frequencies so you can hear them. Huh. And they have a song. Like, it's it's very impressive. It's, like, literally made by, like, rubbing their, like, wings together against their back, I think. Um, and so if, you know, your fruit flies are getting, you know, 16 times the size when they come into your house because they're stuck on your bananas yeah. <laughs> and you hear them singing to each other. Wow. They have like different notes like birds? It's not just one sort yeah. of buzz. I, I, yeah. I mean, well, like that's the thing. You can kind of, it's don't imagine something like super melodic. It does sound, you know, like how you hear like the buzzy, crickety sort of sound. Uh -huh. um, oh, so like a cricket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like a summer cicada, uh -huh. I think was kind of closer to what I okay. heard. But yeah. yeah, like they they have a song, and specific beats and frequencies are important to like that fly mating. And so you know, if these insects are bigger, a lot of their songs that maybe we can't hear because of just the frequency of them yeah. will fall into our noise range. I, so maybe the world will become a little bit a little bit noisier, but maybe a little bit I don't know more interesting. That's really cool. I, I imagine it sounds like insect songs. Whereas if if whale songs are more akin to opera, um, or or the chant of monks, <laughs> um, <laughs> the uh, insect songs sound like it's more grunge. It's like Nirvana. Yeah, I was gonna wonder like, do we get like insect like EDM or something <laughs> yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah. Where like, and actually, you know, in typical human fashion, somebody would start remixing all of those. Oh yeah, instantly. Like oh yeah, I set a microphone out in the middle of the giant locust migration. Yeah. And here's a funky fresh beat that I made with it as they <laughs> devastated the crops of the Midwest. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I think that that's a good place to stop. I must say, on the funky fresh beat of the locusts, <laughs> <laughs> that's very good. Uh, well, thank you for taking us back in time and forward in time. Um, 
And uh, today's episode was sponsored by the Oxygen Bar uh, on your local. I would, that, there's got to be some still around. Yeah. Or would it, I don't know. I haven't seen any after that like fad popped up. I wonder it's kind of like disappeared. Disappeared. Maybe Woody Harrelson has one in his house, you know. <laughs> Special oxygen bar. Shout out to Woody Harrelson. If I've got you completely wrong and I'm confusing you with somebody else, let me know. I'm gonna die if somebody writes in like actually this is a completely different actor. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that was really into this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um but knowing Woody Harrelson, I think he he tries all kinds of things. You can just tell. He would, he would go for it. He would go for it. Um, well, thank you. Any any last thoughts as you uh, have you had any thoughts or, or feelings arise as you've pondered this thought experiment this week? I'm still stuck on the sound that my head conjured for using a baseball bat <laughs> to deflect large bugs. Yeah. Um, again, just very instinctually, my brain filled in what that would sound like, and it's. Truly fascinating. I think it's fairly accurate yeah. <laughs> um, to what that would sound like. Um, so yeah, that's going to bother me throughout the day. Thanks, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. That's why we. That's why we wear safety goggles for what they if. Um, for the bug splatter. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, by the way, I hope we uh, hope to have Matt. I believe he will be back with us. I believe we'll have a full crew next week, and also next week we have Robert Pepper, auto journalist. Otto Journo, as he goes, calls himself, from Down Under in Australia, will be joining us. We'll be talking electric cars, self-driving cars, um, all kinds of uh, stuff. Something you can drive in the outback. I almost tried to do an Australian accent, but I really should save myself respect and not say out, outback. Uh-uh, couldn't help myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, really, it's going to be a really fun, uh, fun show with Robert, so uh, make sure you tune in um, next week. And uh, Gabby, you have anything you want to plug this week? Anything coming up? Nope, nothing coming down the pipe, I think. All right. But I will let you know if any of that changes. Yeah. I think another thing we should invest in for this uh, high oxygen future is uh, bug bug spray, something like that. You're going to need a yeah, lot true. more. You're going to need a lot more. Uh, well, it depends, you know. It's n can't always propel everything. So yeah. <laughs> you might need multiple layers of bug sprays. It's true. <laughs> multiple layers, exactly. Um, so, uh, could you help us, Gabby, understand why, so we, we, with great fanfare, we had opened the doors to the pit of hell that is the if, and, uh, we, we ran our thought experiment and now we have a closing ceremony, uh, which is also full of great angst and terror. Um, and so help us understand and help the audience get prepared for our closing ceremonies, our closing ritual. Yeah. So as we have been ushered into this terrible high oxygen alternate reality where the insects are so so large that as we see one coming towards us <laughs> when gigantic cicada we cannot help but lift our baseball bat and shout together in unison what the I can't wait to go to the insect disco. It'll be pretty fantastic. It'll be like instead of like the Star Wars Cantina band, there'll be a cricket up there and a fruit fly and dragonflies all uh, grinding out their uh, grunge music as we dance to their funky beats. Thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you especially to our Patreon listeners. 
patreon.com slash what the if to find out how you can become a member and a super if for yourself get all kinds of cool rewards including bonus content available only to our patreon listeners thank you all we'll see you next week <laughs>